Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Today is March 25th, and on this day, the church celebrates the Feast of the Annunciation of Our Lord. So you'll hear that in chapel today, and we're also going to talk about it today on the Coffee Hour. So joining me in studio is the Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the LCMS and also International Center Chaplain. Thanks for joining me this morning. Glad to be here. So we have a very exciting feast day in the church here to talk about, and it falls on a weekday this year, which means we get to talk about it on the coffee hour, too. So first, what is the Annunciation? Why are, what, what are we doing here today? The Annunciation is an event, and it's when the angel announced to Mary that she was going to have a baby, that she was going to be the mother of God, that she was going to deliver Christ. Uh, uh, this is one of the most important feasts in the church here, it really is. Uh, all of the, the three major feasts of Mary have always been important, and, and we might think it's because Mary kind of got a little too much play for a while in the church, but but, but really, they're key events. The visitation with Elizabeth is fantastic. It's often been called kind of the first gathering of a church council, right? Because there you've got these two ladies, and you've got uh, Christ, and you've got John the Baptist. Uh, the same thing with the purification, which, again, is not only something for Mary, but also for Christ himself that he's presented in the temple. But this really is the most important one, because this is not only um, the announcement of the angel to Mary, but it's also the conception of Jesus Christ, which gets a mention in the creed. Uh, It it really is, uh, if you wanted to try and pin a moment on it, the the beginning of the incarnation, Mm -hmm. the the, the day, you might say, when God is made man. And maybe that's even more important for our time when we have to deal with um, abortion being so common in our country. And and that's something the church is very interested in, is defending life Mm -hmm. uh, all the way from conception. Well, here we go. Jesus Christ, God himself, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And this is the day we observe that and remember it. Yeah, I think a lot of times when we talk about incarnation, we think of Christmas because that's the day when he, when we celebrate his birth. Yeah, and there's nothing um, wrong with that. I, yeah. I, I, some people are really technical on this point since we have to defend <laughs> it so much against, you know, well, yes, this, uh, Christ was alive for nine months by the time Christmas rolled around. But, um, uh, yeah, that's a feast of the Incarnation, too. But uh, this is a great moment to, to remember all the details and all your nitty-gritty uh, and say, yeah, this, this is actually when it began. This, mm-hmm. is, this is when he uh, came into our flesh. Yeah, that has a lot of cultural significance that I think sometimes we overlook um i don't know maybe this feast day doesn't always get a lot of play in in sunday morning services because it it falls on a specific day of the church year instead of or a specific actual like day of the month rather than something that that we celebrate regularly through the church i'd encourage our listeners and any pastors especially to to think of it just the opposite the fact that this is so special like christmas Mm Uh, that it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't matter if you get a really awkward three Sundays, you know, three days in a row of church. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, This is that important um, because this is the incarnation of Christ Jesus. And and, uh, this is such a great—I just love this gospel so much. Uh, It's also where we find out that Mary is a Lutheran, if you had any doubt. Yes. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. So, obviously, this falls nine months before— 
Christmas Day. Is there any other significance in where this falls within the church year? Uh, it, we're in the season of Lent right now, and all of a sudden we have this feast day. Good question. We'll talk. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, it's it's no secret that it's nine months before <laughs> December twenty fifth. Um, and we would probably think we worked backwards to get that. What's what's fascinating, and and you can find some good articles on this. Uh, fortunately, I don't have a good link to it, but. Um, uh, You've probably our listeners have probably heard that uh, people associate Christmas not with a Christian holiday, but first with pagan holidays, mm-hmm. solstice festivals, and stuff. And so the Christians kind of co-opt it. They baptize these secular things, and and uh, and maybe even Christianity is kind of invented out of these pagan uh, religions. That's really not true. And one of the best arguments against it is this feast day, which was celebrated earlier than Christmas itself. Hmm. It, it isn't that they counted back from Christmas nine months and said, let's let's have another day to celebrate the, you know, the conception. Just the opposite. <laughs> we started with this feast. At one point it was it was also kind of connection connected to Christ's death. There was a well, kind of like a legendary saying kind of thing in, in at that time, uh, early church time, that famous people died on the same day they were conceived. Hmm. Uh, that'd be pretty easy to disprove, but they didn't really keep birth <laughs> records the same way that we did. Um, so they started, a, you know, Christ died at sometime around Passover. And, mm-hmm. and so this day was kind of connected also with his death early on. Uh, you could look at uh, Dr. Andrew Steinman from Concordia, mm-hmm. Chicago, his excellent book on chronology, because I think that's that's not quite probably the date it was uh, in, the, in the, you know, year maybe 2 BC. Uh, but um, in any case, just to say this this was that important that it really was celebrated in the church before Christmas. And that's why, yeah, it falls right in the middle of Lent now because Lent grew up around it over over uh, centuries to come after it. And uh, it and does present us with an interesting problem. It's been handled in a couple ways. Uh, a common way is, is just to celebrate it because this is that important. We can take just a break to, to recognize this uh, important feast day in the middle of our long sweep through the life of Christ. That is the way the church here is. It's really two calendars mushed together. You've mm-hmm. got you've got particular days in the in the secular calendar, the Roman calendar, that have significance because some saint really did die on that day, or this might have actually been the day that this happened. Uh, and then you also have the pattern through the year of the life of Christ, where some things make sense, like 40 days after Easter, we have the Ascension, 50 days is Pentecost. Others don't quite make sense as much, and uh, this one doesn't either, because how do you celebrate 33 years of life right. in one year? You, you gotta, <laughs> uh, you know, but it does match at least with Christmas. So, And uh, another way to do it is to move it outside of Easter. Easter's so important, you get eight whole days uh, where you can't do anything else. So some people move it to the Monday right after Quasimodo, the Sunday <laughs> after Easter. So, you know, uh, and then we can celebrate it in all its glory. Uh, a, a very common way in the time of the Reformation was to move it on the Saturday uh, before Palm Sunday. It was just so important that, uh, you know, kind of became fixed to that day, which is very interesting. Huh. In any case, however you, however you slice it, this is such an important day. We really just can't miss it. Yeah. Bring back the Annunciation. So, uh, 
is there anything else about about the history or um, or how people have celebrated it through the the history of the church here? The the importance to the people who have come before us before we dig into scripture and hymnody and stuff. Let's jump right into the text. Okay, I know Ooh. you love this. Text. This is this is the first time the Annunciation was celebrated, uh, and it's when Gabriel came to Mary. So you'll find this in your Bibles in Luke chapter one, starting at verse twenty six. In the sixth month, that's actually the sixth month of. Elizabeth, her cousin or relative's uh, uh, pregnancy, that's when uh, Gabriel comes. Um, It's fantastic. Comes to Mary, this seeming nobody, but she is engaged, right, to Joseph. And he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This, by the way, is the origin of a phrase you've probably heard all over the place, Hail Mary, full of grace. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's a very important prayer in the Roman Catholic Church. It's one we're a little nervous about. This part is okay. Uh, Hail Mary is a greeting, Salve in Latin. Uh, Kyra in Greek. Um, Hail Mary is just fine. That's a greeting. Hi. Uh, And full of grace is not a great translation of what our Bibles usually say very well. One who is favored by God. It's a passive. Uh, God is showing his favor to Mary. Mm -hmm. One, I suppose, by picking her out of all of the women in the whole history of the earth, that she's going to be the one to give birth to the Son of God in the flesh. Uh, but, But this is always the way Christ works, right? He gives his undeserved kindness and shows it to us. Uh, in Christ Jesus, and that's what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, as we go on, you know the story. Mary uh, uh, understands how this usually works, and you know how can this be? I'm I don't know a man. Uh, I'm not married yet, and I'm a good Jewish girl. Uh, and so the angel explains it very very clearly. You're going to conceive in your womb. Uh, the um, uh, you're going to bear a son. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. He's going to be in the line with David and Jacob and and all the rest of the patriarchs. And uh, and it's the power of the Most High that is going to overshadow you. That's the very same word used in the tabernacle. This Shekinah, this this cloud. Uh, covering the weighty presence of God in the tabernacle, which we don't always see because we think clouds are kind of vaporous. Um, uh, in the Old Testament, this is something you see. It's almost something you feel. Just read Isaiah mm. 6, and you know you can almost feel this weight in the room. Yeah. That's what the, the glory, the cloud, the presence of God is in the Old Testament. So to have that very same word used here is, is fantastic and amazing, right? That now Mary is almost like the tabernacle and God himself has come to dwell among us right there in her womb, beginning from here on out, right? And uh, therefore, the child is going to be holy, the Son of God. And Mary says uh, an amazing thing. Uh, well, first of all, we should say the angel says a phrase we know, we don't realize it's connected with this most amazing, mysterious moment, the incarnation of God in the flesh. Nothing is impossible with God, hmm. right? It's not just whatever I want to do will happen because I, God can do anything, right? So I'm sure he wants to do whatever I have on mind. Mm-hmm. That's not the way this story goes at all. <laughs> it goes, uh, God has something that blows Mary away, but she hears it. And then what does she say? Here's how we know Mary's a Lutheran, right? Uh-huh. I'm the servant of the Lord, the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believes. She has faith. Uh, as, as we heard earlier this week, um, and in last Sunday's gospel, actually, uh, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what Jesus says when that woman comes up and says, blessed is the womb that bore you, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, yeah, but why, right? Uh, if you even you can use my mom as a great example, uh, but this is true for all who believe in me. Everyone who hears the word of God and keeps it, who treasures it up in his heart, as we hear Mary doing all through the Christmas story, uh, who says, according to your word, 
yeah, I, I'm I'm going to pr- trust that promise. That's somebody who's blessed. So yeah, Mary is, as we call her, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Elizabeth, in her song, in her conversation, says that's what um, she, she's the uh, most favored among women. And uh, and Mary says, what uh, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She wasn't just writing herself into the Bible. There, <laughs> uh, it's exactly what Jesus says: Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary did, and she's a great example of that. Uh, but that is true of us, too. I mean, that's faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're talking about the Annunciation with Reverend Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the LCMS and International Center Chaplain. We have more to talk about, but we need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. <laughs> At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today is the Feast of the Annunciation of Our Lord, and the Reverend Sean Denzer is with me in studio. We're talking about the uh, the history of this, the scripture. We're going to get to hymns in a second. Is there any other uh, liturgy or, or um, scripture readings that you want to dig into before we get to hymnody? Oh, I suppose there's lots that we could talk about. <laughs> uh, uh, this is such a wonderful day. It might just be worth talking about Mary in general. I, uh, think, yeah. I think Lutherans, you know, if there's one thing we know about Lutherans, they're not Catholics. Mm-hmm. And if there's two things we know, or if there's something we know about Catholics, is they love Mary. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy for Lutherans either to fall into that trap and say, "Oh yeah, we don't we don't believe in Mary. We don't do anything with her," mm-hmm. which would be very false, as we just saw. Mary is a fantastic example of exactly what we understand in the Scriptures to be saving faith: that she trusts the Lord's word, she believes these promises, uh, and expects them expects good from God because of them. And Christ is is quite literally conceived in her uh, through this faith, trusting and hearing this word and believing it. Um, we also could go overboard, I, say, I, I think, and uh, react against that and say, yeah, we got we to gotta bring back all the, the Mary stuff, the whole cult of Mary. And we do want to watch out for that. Um, uh, it's fine to call it the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's what the Lutherans kept calling it for centuries. Hmm. It's only very recently we started calling it the Annunciation of Our Lord. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, the point is, why do we keep any feast of Christ as Lutherans, any feast in the whole church here? It is to talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is to sing, just as Mary does later in the Magnificat, right, um, about our Savior and to magnify him who has such great mercy and grace on us. So I think rightly seen as all the saints are as examples to us of faith, of good works, of, of acts in their vocations, and of the Lord's great mercy to them, that's how we view 
view the saints, and and Mary becomes kind of the chief uh, saint as a result of that, um, because of the great things that are said about her, and also because it's very interesting. Mary is connected even in the scriptures a little bit with the church. You see this in refer- in Revelation uh, that that woman that gives birth to right the one the conquering one on uh, the dragons wants to gobble him up right but of course he ascends right he he escapes uh, and then that same woman is persecuted right mm-hmm. and you see almost that shift from uh, Mary as not only an example to our faith but also almost like a model or an image of the church itself that's something that Lutherans can definitely go along with because I think it's it's all hinted at and and referenced there in the scriptures uh, but again in what way do you want to call Mary the mother of the church the the how is she our mother is how is she a picture of what the church is well uh, she gives birth to Christians, right? Uh, we should say um, Mary is the example of what a Christian is, somebody who trusts in Christ's word uh, so that Christ is born in us and, and is alive in us. That's exactly what a Christian is. We're a member of the church. We're somebody who believes in in God. We trust his promises. And, and now Christ is born in us by faith, that he, that he, is, uh, that he is the enlivening, He's the object of our faith, held by us and and trusted in. Uh, so in that way, yeah, Mary is this example and almost like a, a symbol, so to speak, of, of what the church is. All right. That's so good. Shall we move on to the music that we hear? Yeah. I want to talk about one thing that's kind of missing from our hymnal, uh, yes. historical oddity in my mind. There is always an old... Uh, practice that was really popular in the Lutheran territories, uh, but it predated the Reformation, and that was to have the intro for this day be the same intro as Advent 4. Oh. It's kind of interesting. Uh, nowadays, in the new lectionary, Advent 4 has become a day where we hear the Annunciation, which mm-hmm. is very, uh, I mean, an interesting kind of uh, approach to it, and obviously something that we would think of before Christmas. But it was always kind of hinted at there, and this great connection that the intro you would hear sung, first words of your Advent for service would also be the first words of your Annunciation service. Interesting. And it's this is psalm, this uh, drop down ye heavens from above uh. and let the skies pour down right, the righteous one, is actually what it says, uh, and that the earth uh, opens her womb and, and, and gives birth to him, right? So you have kind of this heaven and earth meeting. Um, I suppose there's ways in which that could be misunderstood, but I think the proper way is to understand that um, here we have the two natures of Christ. We have uh, the human nature, which he receives from his mother Mary, um, that he's born uh, in, uh, here uh, of the same substance as his mother in this world, uh, but also of, of the same substance as his father uh, as, as respects his Godhead. So a beautiful little psalm this, uh, and, and passage this uh, drop down ye heavens from above in Latin, rorate celi. Mm-hmm. So what is the, the intro now that we have is, is different then? Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I, I'm sure it's a wonderful passage from the scriptures and, uh, and uh, probably something either from the Old Testament or from uh, the Magnificat itself. Oh yeah, it's from Isaiah, right? Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continual in my mouth. Oh, that fits well too. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah. All right. Hymnody? Hymns. Uh, are yeah. there are there enunciation hymns? There is one. It's in Latin. Oh. Uh, Porta Christi. <laughs> uh, but we don't have it very much in our hymnals, which is eh, a shame. Um 
So then what do we sing? Good question. Well, how about some Christmas hymns? Hey, I'm up for that. Christmas in July. Christmas uh, in March. We've heard of that before. <laughs> Christmas in March makes a lot more sense. I want to start with, uh, well, I'll start with another Advent hymn again. Yes. Uh, the first Sunday in Advent. This is 332 in Lutheran mm. service book, Savior of the Nations Come. We love that one. A lot of uh, pastors, by the way, in our church body know this. If they went to the seminary in Fort Wayne, uh, for a long time at least, including my time there, we were required in church history to memorize this hymn. In mm-hmm. fact, I think it's the only hymn we had to memorize. Thank God, it's a great choice. Uh, it, it's written by St. Ambrose of Milan, who's kind of recognized as the, the father, the recoverer of, of, of hymns that were not just quotes from the Psalms, but actually poems written for singing in church. Oh. And uh, so this is such an old hymn from the 300s that Luther put into German, uh, that we have in English. We get to sing with so many generations. Uh, this hymn is definitely about Christ. He's the Savior of the nations who has come. Uh, but it also takes time to talk about his incarnation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not by human flesh and blood, right? Not by the will of a man, but by the Spirit of our God was the Word of God made flesh. Woman's offspring, pure and fresh. You have both the human and divine nature right there. Mm-hmm. Stanza three. Here a maid was found with child. Yet remained a virgin mild. In her womb this truth was shown. God was there upon his throne. The first half talks about the fact that, yes, uh, she was a virgin. Um, this, is, this is not a birth in the normal sense. This is entirely the Holy Spirit's doing. The second half talks about what we mentioned before, this, this overshadowing. Mm. Uh, same word and the connection made to the tabernacle of old now must be made here on earth. Uh, I mean, I think it is understandable, if I can put it that way, why Mary would become the fixation of the church in a misunderstanding and, a, and kind of an overstatement, because this is incredible, right? That, mm-hmm. that you can say the one who, as Luther's own Christmas hymns say, by the way, maybe we'll get to him, that the God who creates the world, who feeds all people, the birds, the ravens, the, the, you know, he's responsible for all of it. He's holding this whole world in his hands, whatever image you want to have. Now he is dwelling right inside. I mean, it's amazing already to think that there's a baby in any, in any um, expecting mother's uh, womb. But now to think that the God who made everything, who made her, <laughs> is dwelling. This is just a mind-boggling mystery, uh, equal only to the Trinity itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so we take a moment to to honor that. It's worth saying that this is probably the feast where it's clearest to be taught. This this title of Mary that has been assigned to her by the the church, which is done uh, as all things are with with the saints, not for her sake, but for the sake of talking about Christ, that she is called the in Greek Theotokos. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Latin, it's usually translated as mother of God, uh, but a more direct translation would be the the God-bearer, mm. the, the, the one who gives birth to God. Um, it, it's an astounding statement, right? It's, it's uh, as, as, sta- as crazy as saying, our God is a man. I'm just stew on that for a little bit, right? That's incredible. But it is necessary. If you you can't say that, you can't say that the one who's born of her is really the Son of God, Uh, that it is, in fact, true God, begotten of the Father, who she gives birth to. So that's why, in a sense, as Mary always does, right? Uh, She is testifying about her son, even in the titles that she sort of accumulates in the history of the church and, and in the hymns that might be about her, yeah, they end up being about Jesus in the end. Yes, they do. All right. 
That's a great one. Do you have another one for us? Uh, I always like uh, 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 384, I believe it is. Yeah, 384, Of the Father's Love Begotten. This is a uh, hymn by Prudentius, kind of the next generation of hymn writers after after Ambrose. And it has a wonderful little phrase uh, about Mary, too, right? Uh, oh, that birth forever blessed, when the virgin full of grace, blessed, uh, favored by God, uh, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race. Um, a beautiful little uh, confession. Uh, and maybe we should just talk briefly about Luther's own hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. In LSB, that's hymn 382. This is one that might not be as well known mm-hmm. to a lot of people. It should be. It's the hymn of the day for Christmas Day, but mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Day is not always attended either. But this is Luther's <laughs> Christmas hymn, and, and this is the one that has such a fantastic uh, confession, right? Uh mm-hmm. Stanza three, the Virgin Mary's lullaby calms the infant Lord most high, right? Infant Lord. These are not words you expect to find talking about each other, and mm-hmm. they are. Upon her lap content is he who keeps the earth and sky and sea. And I think in the German it's even clearer about, right? He's mm. the one who feeds the world, and here he is feeding at her breast. Uh, I think Germans tend to like that juxtaposition, that, that form of poetry where it's like almost a paradox being built in. Uh, but this is the paradox that the scriptures themselves present for us, especially on this day. Mm-hmm. So many good things, a lot of stuff to look forward to uh, in worship today. And for people who don't necessarily have an Annunciation service, tune in for chapel today at 10 a.m. And you can you can uh, follow along with us, uh, pull out your hymnals and uh, read through these hymns and read through the scripture lessons for today. We'll put those in the show notes for today's episode so you can read all of that. Thank you so much, Chaplain Denzer, for joining me today to talk about the Annunciation of Our Lord. My pleasure. Happy Annunciation. Blessed Annunciation to you, too. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.